tonight, we have an incredible speaker. She needs no introduction. She is our discipleship pastor, and she's my friend, and she's great. She's also got a new haircut, um, so recognize the new her as she comes up. Please you welcome Jesse Smith. Thank you, Ndanda. I'm now very aware of my hair, and I hope it looks great. Awesome. Good evening, everybody. Over the last few weeks, we have been doing a series called War Room on prayer and looking at what Jesus taught us about prayer um, in the Lord's Prayer and just that reality that we are engaged constantly in a spiritual battle and we need to learn spiritual weapons to fight that. And so that's what the series has been about. Um, a few, well, not a few weeks ago, last weekend, we're so used to saying a few weeks ago in this church. Last weekend, Toby and I took our friends Precious and Sipa out for their birthday. It was this whole surprise thing to Michalisburg, and they had clues for everything that we did, and they had to solve the clue before we did the thing, and it was awesome watching them get frustrated at all the clues, and we took them uh, to do, what's that thing? Quad biking, and archery, and clay pigeon shooting, which it turns out they do now with like laser guns, which sucks, but anyway. Um, turns out, oh, here's a, oh, we're talking about prayer with precision tonight. Here is a picture from that day. So it turns out that I'm actually quite good at aiming and firing at things, and I picked up the nickname gunpowder from that day. I think it comes from a violent past that I had as a child, but... I was um, then re looking at this, an article this week that was about how to become a more accurate shooter, and I won't tell you who or what caused me to read that article. But I was taking note of the fact that they, they spoke about like these three sort of things when it comes to shooting accurately. I don't know if any of you have ever shot a gun, but I don't think you will ever need to remember this, but just in case, I'm going to tell you. So the one is how you stand, right, that you've got to have a stance in such a way that you bend your knees a little bit and lean forward and all of that to handle the recoil of the gun. The other is how you actually grip the weapon. And the third is what you focus on. A lot of people focus on the target instead of on the gun and then they, you know, don't shoot straight. And as I was reading this article, I was like, this is so true for how we pray accurately, right? What we stand on, what we hold on to, and what we focus on determine how accurate our prayers are. And the thing with praying with precision, right, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we all want to be people that feel like our prayers are cutting out the enemy before he can take ground from us, right? Instead of him coming to steal, kill, and destroy, that we're stopping him. But praying with precision is not about the right phrasing in your prayer that he runs away from. It's about living a life like Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ didn't succumb to the temptation of the enemy. And so tonight, as we're talking about this, these three things, we're speaking about precision through sonship, precision through righteousness, and precision through the Holy Spirit. Because being a person that prays precise prayers is not about words, but about actions and how we live our lives. When Paul was praying for the church in Colossae, this is what he says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption. Paul doesn't pray that they would be filled with the power of God. He prays that they would know God's will and live in a manner worthy of God's will. Because from that place of living according to the will of God, we are strengthened with all power in his might. From that place of living according to the will of God, we know the inheritance that he has given us as believers. But so often we are praying for those things and not living out the will of God and in a manner walking according to that will. And so we see from this that it really is about how we pray. That doesn't make sense. How we live so that it determines how we pray. That's what I meant to say. So let's pray as we begin. Father, I thank you that you are with every single one of us, Lord Jesus, that your presence is with us, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you are on the throne. You are victorious, and we say that to our souls tonight, that he is victorious, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and nothing can take that away. Father, as, we, as so many of us here are facing difficult situations, facing attack, facing condemnation, we remind ourselves that you are the conquering one, that you are victorious, Jesus, and we position ourselves in that place, not succumbing to fear, but keeping our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we look at your word tonight, that you would speak to each one of us individually, Jesus, that we would leave here changed, Lord God, doing things differently because of who you are. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Precision through sonship. I love spending time with kids. You may have noticed this about me. And there's quite a difference between having the kids over at my place versus going to spend time with these kids at their parents' place, right? I do both. But when I'm at my friends' houses hanging out with their kids, you see, sometimes, like, the kids, as soon as stuff happens, then they'll be like, Dad, Auntie Jessie did X, Y, and Z. You know, stories that really don't have to get back to parents that wouldn't have if we were at my place. And in those moments, you know, when it's like, come on, child, you know, The thing is that when stuff is happening and they're in their father's house, they know they're in their father's house. And so they immediately go to dad when stuff goes down, right? This thing about sonship is that the way that we often pray when there's warfare around us, when things are difficult, so often I've noticed that my prayers are like, Jesus, please come through for me. Please deliver me. I need you to take me out of this situation. And then I start looking at the situation and I'm like, get out of here, right? That's usually how my prayers go. But this week, as I was studying how Jesus prayed, he prayed so differently when it came to attack. Because his prayers always focused on God and what God was doing and not the stuff around him. Like in John 17, this is probably the longest prayer of Jesus that we see recorded. And he begins with knowing the authority that the Father has and that Jesus has. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. And then he prays for the believers. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. 
When Jesus is praying for protection of the believers, he doesn't pray to the evil to say disappear. He says, God, protect them from the evil one. Even in Matthew 6, when he's praying, he says, keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. He constantly prayed that God would be the one to deliver us from evil. When he's facing the enemy in Matthew 4, right? And Satan is like, all these kingdoms I will give to you. Jesus just says, be gone, Satan. It's not like this argument, be gone, Satan, for it says, worship the Lord your God only. You see, Jesus knew who was on the throne, right? That God is the one who has the authority. And God has given us authority to rule and reign over this earth, but the enemy has no authority. And so Jesus didn't even engage with him. When he was casting out demons, he was like, be quiet and get out, right? He didn't even give the enemy a place to speak because the enemy has no authority. So often when we are praying prayers about attack, we start praying to the stuff around us. So focused on the attack and not focused on the one who sits on the throne. And this is the thing with sonship, is that it's about knowing who your father is. See, we are adopted into God's family. When we receive Jesus Christ, you become grafted into the family of God. But that means that all of us are born without a sense of family. That being born into sin means that we don't know what it means to be sons of God. And so when we're adopted into Jesus' family, we have to learn sonship. And so often, because we're still learning sonship, when attack comes, we immediately go back to servant mentality. Jesus, please, will you come through for me? Instead of how Jesus prayed, which is knowing that God is my father, and he is on the throne, and nothing can separate that. No height, nor depth, or angels, or demons can take away my position as a son of God. So praying prayers of, of sonship, right, is... A, when we face attack, is about that, you know what, I'm not afraid of this. I'm not praying a, faith, a fear-filled prayer, but a faith-filled prayer. You see, perfect love casts out all fear. Whoever lives in love lives in God, for God is love, 1 John 4. And so when attack comes, that is the time to be more loving. Because whoever lives in love lives in God. And we need to stay in that place of loving God, loving people all the more because we're not giving any room to fear because perfect love removes fear. And I'm gonna keep my stance on the fact that Jesus is on the throne and nothing is going to take that away. Praying precise prayers is about staying in that place of being a son. We only know God through the word, right? So being a son, having that relationship means that you know God, therefore you know the word. We can't just call ourselves sons of God if we don't know God. Because then he'll say, who are you? I've never known you, right? That we have to know the word. I think so often we, the, the phrasing and the language that we use in our prayers is actually just sort of church culture phrasing and we have to consider whether or not it's biblical. And I, I think it's a good discipline for us to start actually just praying what we read in scripture so that we can rebuild our prayer language off of the word of God. Because we have to know God. You see, the way that, that, that Jesus was with God and how he prayed, it reaffirmed what God said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 54. It is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame. It is I who have created the destroyer. No weapon formed against you shall prevail because God is on the throne. He has won the day, and we pray from that place, knowing that God is already in charge. Precision through righteousness. 
It is Jesus Christ who has made us right before God. That position that we have before the throne is because of what Jesus has done for us. And when it comes to standing before God to pray, we need to be clinging on to his righteousness, holding on and enrobing ourselves in the fact that Jesus has made us right with God. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what that means is, you know, most of the time when we think about the fact that we're forgiven, we see this long, our long list of sins, which we sort of add to on a regular basis, right? The reasons that we are disqualified to be sons before God. And because Jesus has died for us on the cross, it's forgiven. There's like this forgiven stamp on that list, and so we get to stand before God. But that's actually not what the scripture says. This scripture says that Jesus looked at that list and said, I'm going to take that list for myself. That's what I have done as a son. And you can have my perfect relationship with the Father for yourself. That you can have my righteousness. So you're not standing before God just forgiven of your sins, but cleansed from your sins with a clean slate. And this is why that is important, because the enemy comes, just like he did with Jesus, to say, if you are a son of God, and questions your position as a son, and if you are looking at all the reasons that qualify you or disqualify you as a son, then when the enemy comes, you're going to fall for his temptation. We have to hold on to Jesus' righteousness, because this is, it, it tells us, you know what, I didn't earn my place as a son. I don't deserve this, but Jesus chose me then, when I don't deserve it. He gave me a position as son in spite of my disqualifications. And so no matter what I do, my position is never questions. I hold on to Jesus' righteousness, that it is not about me being good enough and proving to God that I can do this. It is about me holding on to the fact that he has qualified me for an inheritance. I think that a lot of the time when we start praying against attack, we start thinking of the reasons why we are disqualified. And we start saying things like, Lord, I know I did X, Y, and Z, but this week I'm going to do A, B, and C. And don't get me wrong, repentance is really important. But prayers like that do reflect that mentality that I'm holding on to the fact I can prove to God I can do this. You can't do it in your own strength. You just can't. And you are not meant to. You are meant to hold on to the grace of God. So when the temptation comes, the idols that are that space of comfort and security. See, idols, sorry, temptation is tempting. I know that sounds obvious, but most of the time when we hear preachers speaking about temptation, we're like, yes, that person who did that thing. But temptation is tempting for you, right? There are things around you all the time that are saying, if you will do this, you will be okay. If you look like this, the world will love you, right? If you perform for the world, then you will be accepted. That is idolatry. It is putting something else in that space of security and comfort that only God is meant to have in your life. And when those things come, because you hold on to Jesus' righteousness, you say, you know what, that is tempting. But Jesus, you make me righteous. Enable me to say no to this thing because I'm not that person. I'm not gonna do that thing because you have qualified me. Most of the time we look at the temptation and we go, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to prove that I am good enough. You're not good enough. Receive Jesus' righteousness in you, right? Because that is how we will resist those lies that say, if you are the son of God. Titus 2 
says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. You see, the grace of God trains us to say no to ungodliness. That means that when we are faced with those things, instead of, Lord, I'm going to do this, we should be saying, Lord, help me do this. I don't know how. It is only your righteousness and your grace that enables me to say no to this. And we walk into every temptation and every attack asking Jesus to empower us to walk free from that instead of trying to do it on our own. Self-sufficiency is going to kill that space of sonship for you. And so we need to be clinging on to Jesus' righteousness, knowing that he has put us in a position that nothing can take away. This is why in James 4, we so often quote the scripture. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It starts with submitting yourself to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you are living under the righteousness of Jesus Christ, submitted to him, Then it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. You see, Jesus' righteousness must also result in righteousness in your life. It's not just that we hold on to the fact that Jesus has made us righteous and hope that it's all gonna be okay. It will result in you living more righteously. We can't have this double life of like praying on the way to work and then flirting with people at work that we're not married to, you know? That double life where we deceive ourselves into thinking that because Jesus has made me righteous, it will not produce that fruit in my life. If you are walking in Jesus' righteousness, it will look like righteousness in your life. So we must first submit ourselves to God. We cannot pray precise prayers or live a life that is covered by God if we are not walking in Jesus' righteousness. That is the wrong way. Hebrews 10 It's a long scripture, so I'm not gonna read it, but it speaks about the fact that because Jesus has qualified us, in order for us to persevere in that space, we need to not neglect the gathering of believers. See, people around you are meant to help you see where you're not trusting God, where you don't believe God's promises over your life, where you are saying in self-sufficiency that your connect are mirrors to you to help you to see that. Today is Connect Sunday. It is an opportunity for you to join a Connect group if you have not been part of a Connect. Maybe you've tried it before. Maybe you just haven't been in ages. Go back because we need people around us to show us where we are not walking in God's righteousness, where we are trusting in our own strength instead of in God's. Sonship is learnt. And so we need people to walk in that space with us. We cannot persevere unless we have community. Precision through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings all of this together because he walks with us and he's been walking with you since the day you were born, at work in your life, bringing things to your knowledge that you didn't even know, right? He's constantly been at work in you and we need the Spirit of God in order to know the inheritance that we have as believers, the insight that we need. Ephesians 1, Paul is writing, to the church in Ephesus, and it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. It is the spirit of wisdom and revelation that enables us to know God's power, to know our inheritance, to know our position. 
So we need to learn to listen to and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because that's how we will have insight and revelation. The Bible speaks so frequently about learning to wait on God. And it's something that we really don't know how to do anymore, right? In our microwave era, we can't wait for longer than three minutes for anything. And I did a, a devotional at the beginning of the year that required me to start the morning session and the evening session, each with two minutes of time solely focused on God's presence. It was really hard. I mean, two minutes does not sound like a long time, but I struggled because of the fact that I just fill up that silence with stuff all the time. You know, it's like as soon as there's silence, I think God is not speaking, and I just start to do other stuff instead. But this is the thing about having a relationship with God, is that He is God. So He decides when to speak, and He's allowed to do that, because He is God. So if we are in relationship with God, we need to wait for Him and His cue that God is not rushed by your fears. In fact, I think a lot of the time when we are waiting on God, it is because he is waiting for all of those doubts to come up in our hearts so that he can actually speak to the real roots of our fear. The only way to learn how to wait on God is to start waiting on God. <laughs> really, that's it. And so we have to begin this discipline of relationship where it comes to just waiting and trusting that God will show up. And if he doesn't show up for six months, that doesn't mean he's not there and that he doesn't care. We trust that because he is God, he will come through. Side note, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, in scripture, there are so many places where people waited for a long time. There's this one scripture in, in Jeremiah where Jeremiah had to go and bury this belt. And then God says, go hide in the rocks. And Jeremiah hides in the rocks. And it says, a few weeks later, God came to him. <laughs> I don't know how many weeks Jeremiah was hiding in the rocks, but that's rough, right? And yet, so many people in scripture had that understanding of waiting on God. There are periods in the Bible of hundreds of years of silence. The people that we read about in scripture received promises from God that they didn't see fulfilled in their lifetime, but they walked according to those promises anyway, because they understood that God is a generational God. And I think that if a, a Bible was being written about the believers today, I don't think we would feature because we don't wait long enough on God to align to his promises. You know that we have to be willing to wait on God and live with his timeline in mind, which means that the stuff that he's speaking to you about is for generations to come. And we still live that with the reality that those promises are true, but I'm not afraid about my lifetime. I'm thinking about God's kingdom and all of the stuff that he is going to do in his kingdom. So precision through the Holy Spirit and learning to wait on God. You see, there's, there are other reasons why we need to learn how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what we ought to pray as, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is constantly interceding for you and gives you language that you can use to pray because you don't know how to pray what you ought. 
When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive the gift of tongues. And learning how to pray in tongues without ceasing is so important. Ephesians 6 is where the armor of God is listed and all, I mean, all of those things are not things that we just put on, right? It's things that we do. We are righteous. We have salvation. We walk according to truth. Those are all important things. But it ends with this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's how it ends the description of the armor of God. We need to be praying in the Spirit at all times because we don't know what we should pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness so we need to learn how to stay in that space of praying in tongues. You see, praying in tongues connects us to God's presence. It like puts us in that space where we can feel God, we can hear Him, and that is how we will learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to have that discipline of praying in tongues. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to you constantly highlighting areas of attack that are gonna come to you. He wants to empower you with all might, right? That's what the Bible says, that he will teach you the inheritance that you have. And so when it's that space of, Lord, I don't know how to live out as a son, I don't know what this means, we need to be waiting and listening to the Holy Spirit because he will speak to you and he will guide you. He's been doing it your whole life. Psalm 27, I really encourage you to go and read this when you're at home. It's an amazing psalm, and it speaks about facing attack um, and how to stay in that space. So this is an excerpt from it. It says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in the shelter in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If we are gonna stay in God's covering and in his shelter, we need to learn to wait for the Lord. But we can't just start, you see, if we haven't learned how to wait on God, when attack comes, we won't know how to stay under the shelter of his wings. We have to learn how to wait on God before that time comes so that when it comes, we're not like suddenly, because this is the thing, is that then we'll fill up that space again with backup plans and plan Bs and other ways of deliverance instead of God because we don't know how to wait on God in the day of attack. And so we start responding out of servanthood instead of sonship. So we have to learn how to wait on God because when that attack comes, then I'm, I'm not afraid of my position being lost. I know how to stay in God's presence. I know how to be content in plenty and in few because Christ strengthens me. And pressing into that place is a discipline of your relationship with God that every single one of us needs to learn how to do. And so maybe you already are facing attack. Just start learning how to wait on God today. Start waiting. That's how you learn and praying and trusting that God will show up and disciplining yourself not to tap out when you feel like God isn't there. So, in conclusion, precision 
in our prayers, how to battle the enemy in such a way that he's not stealing and killing and destroying from us, but that we're taking ground back from him, is about knowing the position that we have before God and praying prayers that are in line with that authority, based on Jesus's righteousness that he covers us with, so that as a son and a daughter of God, we focus our prayers at him. This is the stance that we have, right? I'm standing on the sonship of God, I'm holding on to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and I'm focusing on the Holy Spirit and how he is leading me. And that's how I become a sharpshooter in my prayers, by, by staying in that space. So there are many things, my, my final sort of encouragement to you is there are many things from this word that we need to begin applying in our lives. We need to begin praying prayers that give room for God to speak and waiting on that space. We need to begin letting community speak into that reflecting back to us what we need to do, where we've not trusted God, where we've believed lies, right? We need to start focusing our prayers not on our righteousness, but on Jesus's righteousness, that we are enrobed in that space and nothing can disqualify me as a child of God. But today we're gonna focus on just one of those. Because it's Connect Sunday, we're gonna talk about that space of community. So I'm just gonna pray as we close and then we'll transition to that. Jesus, we bring our hearts before you right now, Lord. I thank you that you are so faithful and true, Lord God. I thank you that you always look upon us with favor, even when we do pray fearful prayers instead of faithful prayers, that you are moved, Lord, by our faith, but you are gracious to us in our time of need. But Jesus, we ask that you would teach us how to pray. And so we are gonna take a moment just to wait on you now, Lord. We're gonna discipline our minds to focus on you and we're gonna trust that you will speak to us about what we need to do to pray in line with your righteousness. Spirit, we give you access to every part of our hearts. That you would continue to convict us and lead us into all truth. That you would show us where we, we're, we're praying prayers that don't actually reflect your authority and that we would align to your authority. Not looking at stuff around us, but really focusing on you, Jesus. I pray that we would be people who abide in the vine who constantly connect ourselves to your presence, to your word, to your power, and that we will we'll never let ourselves get to a place where we've disconnected for long, Jesus. That we stay, we stay abiding in you. I thank you, Lord, that it is your grace that empowers us to live in righteousness. And so we ask for your grace, Lord, for the areas that we're facing, the tough decisions where we have to say no to things that look like they're gonna give us what we need. We ask for your grace to empower us, Jesus. And we commit our, our time with you to you, Lord God, 
that we would stay praying in line with your truth, Jesus. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Teach us your ways. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.